From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching and playing recently. I'm Terry. I'm Mary Beth. This week we are chatting about an analog horror game, an uncomfortable dissolution of a marriage, a queer slasher, and ooh, more erotic dentistry. Yes. <laughs> we got we got we got we got a range here, I would say, of things that we are discussing. Um so let's let's just dive right in. I want to hear about this analog horror game. I'm all about new horror games. So what what is this? Yeah, so this is Home Safety Hotline, a game that I have not been able to stop talking about since I heard about it. Home Safety? Oh, yeah, Home Safety Hotline. And so the basic premise okay. is... The, the logline to me, a way to describe it, is basically an analog horror bestiary game where you play someone who works for a pest control company called home safety hotline and you answer calls and you tell people what are infesting their house and each shift it, you get more um entries into your bestiary essentially and you, you start from like oh bees termites ants and then it goes to like hobgoblins and boggarts and fairy oh disease and so it becomes this like really interesting like again you're sitting at a desk answering like answering questions for people and it gets weirder and weirder and weirder as the game goes along um it's very short it's about three hours depending on how long it takes um but it's okay. like very much again it looks like you're on like a windows 95 pc it's like it's, the aesthetic yeah it's emulating that aesthetic exactly Perfect. and so like every time you log in for a shift you have like emails you can look at. There's some weird videos that kind of explain, like, that kind of give you some more world building. And then you're clocking in for your shift and getting calls and putting people on hold and reading through your bestiary essentially to figure out what is plaguing these people and giving them the right advice on how to fix it. And yeah, it's, and I guess it goes to some really, really bizarre places as it goes on, as it continues. And it's a PC game. <clears throat> it just got released a couple weeks ago so it's kind of like not hot I don't think it's talked about that much but again it's very it's again very analog horror very my vibe 
and very low key mm-hmm. in what it's doing. Um, so if you're not like a big horror action game person, there's not like jump scares, and there's even um, options at the beginning if you have phobias, like if you're scared of spiders, if you're scared of certain bugs. You can check a box at the beginning and it'll blur out any of those things, any of those images for you. So you can play it without being worried about it, which is nice. Just like a nice little accessibility thing with people who have like. So I do want to I do want to circle on the onto that because I have seen that more recently with particularly with arachnophobia filters that I. I, So I don't have a problem necessarily with like CG, like, you know things that aren't real like i can my mind is able to like uncanny valley that and i'm not scared about it but there are a lot of games like there's um grounded which is like sort of honey i shrunk the kids survival game in the backyard that has an arachnophobia mode um even the new the harry potter game has an arachnophobia mode um there's like it seems to be a lot more and more there's lethal company which is this new multiplayer game has an arachnophobia mode like so there's like a that is happening a whole lot more and as someone with arachnophobia i'm very appreciative of that it's such a nice accessibility feature yeah we just ran an interview on dread central shameless plug where uh justin wood talked to the developers and they said one of the guys said yeah my wife has arachnophobia so bad that if she even knew there was a spider in it she wouldn't play it so it made sense to add these filters. So if you really are that scared, like you can still enjoy it and be warned about it and have, be entertained. Like it's the whole point is to make sure you're having fun. So I kind of, I love that. So yeah, it gets, again, it's not like super scary. It's got, it's the atmosphere okay, and the vibe of it. Ask. You know what I mean? It's like kind of the unsettling vibes of it there. And you're, you're always playing with that interface. So it's not like, again, there's no jump scares. There's no combat. It's mostly kind of just putting things together like a puzzle game in a way. But so yeah, low key, but a good and again analog horror. Very into that aesthetic. I'm like on a big analog horror kick right now. So there's not a lot of analog horror games ish like that follow that. Yeah. There's more coming out now. I think it's I think because of YouTube, it's becoming more yeah. popular. But so. I think we're starting to see a bit more, and so I'm, I'm curious to see where, how that's going to develop. Because there's a lot of nostalgic games, too, with, like, PS1 era, to like, yeah. nostalgia in terms of mm-hmm. the blocky Resident Evil 1, Silent Hill 1 type of aesthetic. So I, I think, I'm hoping that we're going to get some more of that. Yeah, I think that, that definitely, and I, but I think, like, especially with the popularity of, like, the Mandela catalog, the backrooms, that kind yeah. of stuff, I the think mm-hmm. I'm seeing more of that in games, because it's an easier way to make horror games, I would think, because again, like with um, Home Safety Hotline, it's a lot of like, there's still, there's like a lot of writing going on, but a lot of it is very like, there's not a lot of animation happening. A lot of it's very Mm -hmm. text-based and what analog horror, like really good analog horror does is, is is text-based, but it uses some creepy images and sounds and everything. So I think so like found footage it is a good way for the independent people to make a game so I have a whole theory about analog horror being the new era of found footage because it's like the digital sphere and I think that this game is part of that and how like we are now like Mm. analog horror is now like as we saw with games like Outlast and things like with found footage kind of bridging into games i think analog horror now is starting to bridge into games and i think it kind of shows how this is a new era of this kind of 
or specific horror that is very like aesthetically trying to emulate a very particular like nostalgia factor but also play on the idea of it being real and feeling very real sorry i'm on my high horse now i just think it's like super interesting i'm like planning out a column for dread central about all this because i think it's like a super new cool era of horror that i don't think people are paying a lot of attention to um but they should because i think it's a really and this is kind of yeah and this is kind of my niche with with horror too on video games so like this i am adding this to my list because this sounds really fucking fun it's like my dream job when you said it's short Mm -hmm. it's only a couple hours um, it's not randomly generated, so, like, every time you play, for right now, it's, like, it's not, like, procedurally generated in terms of, like, options. Every playthrough has the same calls right now. Um, I don't have any idea if they're gonna change that, but it'd be cool if they added that. Um, but I know it's just, like, two guys, and it was a side project, so who knows. But, yeah, so that is Home Safety Hotline. That is on PC currently. Hell yeah. Yeah. Sweet. Uh, absolutely different. Uh, an uncomfortable dissolution of a marriage. Sounds yes. fun. So, Just kidding. Uh, um, an interesting dissolution of a marriage because it involves murder or suicide or accidents Ooh. or something. Who knows? Ooh. I am trying to um, get caught up on all of the best picture-esque type things for um galica for the critics group that mary beth and i both belong to because it is due very soon and i'm trying to get as many things in as i can so i finally sat down this weekend and watched anatomy of a fall have you seen this one yet mary beth no and i need to because it got nominated so, for a bunch of stuff which is awesome as well as it should This is a two and a half hour movie, so it is long, but it is, and it is basically a courtroom drama for most of it, and this is a movie that opens up with um, Sandra Hewler, Hewler, who is a phenomenal actress. She was, I didn't realize this until I was looking up information about her, but she was actually in, I hadn't ever seen her, I don't think, in a movie before except for Sleep. Do you remember that movie, Mary Beth? From out of the festivals, oh where yeah, woman, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So she was in, she was in Sleep, and I was like, that's why she's familiar to me. So she's in two big, big, big picture movies this year: Anatomy of Fall and Zone of Interest, that are getting a lot of buzz. And oh, she's which in is Zone weird. of Interest too. What did she yeah, get? Yeah, she is. What did she get nominated for? Did she I get? Don't nominated? actually know. See if you can find it. Okay, so Anatomy of a Fall opens with Sandra Hewler's Sandra. Sandra is her name in, in the movie. And she is being interviewed by um, a, a journalist. And because she's she and her husband are both writers. And as they're having this discussion, her husband is upstairs in this beautiful house. And he is installing ins- installation um, or like uh, insulation up in the in the attic. And he starts playing, weirdly enough, um, a rendition of Pimp by 50 Cent. Like, it is a, almost like a, like a merengue, salsa-esque, no words version of the song Pimp um, by 50 Cent. And he starts playing it very loudly as as this interviewer is trying to record the conversation that they're having. 
And it just keeps going on repeat to the point that Sandra's like, I guess we're going to have to call this off for the day. Sandra's son, Sandra and her husband's son um, is blind. Uh, and you find out a little bit as to why he's blind a little bit later as the movie progresses. And he goes out with his, with his service dog for a walk. And when he gets back, he finds out that his dad is dead in the snow outside of the house, a wound on his head. And it looks like he fell. And from there, it goes into sort of an investigation of, was it a homicide? Was it an accident? Was it suicide? And um, the wife ends up basically being on the stand because they think that she killed her husband. And it goes from there. And most of it is set in the, uh, the courtroom as we are seeing the evidence for and against whether she murdered her husband. But there is one scene in this movie that is a flashback to an argument between the two of them. And it is like, I don't, I, I forgot how to, I didn't clock it, but it is like a long extended sequence of just the two of them getting to the heart of the problems in their relationship. And it is the most uncomfortable sequence I have ever seen, but it also shows how fucking fantastic of an actress Sandra is. Like it is, she intense did. She and emotionally did, in devastating. fact, get nominated for this for best actress. Good. She deserves it. She deserves this award because I was gobsmacked at her performance in this, and she plays this character so incredibly well that you are not really sure whether you can trust what she's saying or whether what is she what she's saying is is she's just a a person that happened to have something horrible happen to her. You don't quite know, and the movie toys with that for a. a uh, most of the movie I don't want to give spoilers away but it is this movie is fantastic I was blown away because I thought it was going to be kind of boring particularly with the courtroom drama that's going to last two and a half hours but I found it very enthralling and that 10 minute scene between just her and her husband is some of the best acting I have seen in a movie all year hell yeah okay so. I need to watch it I really like that's one my grandparents watched it like you need to see it like I know <laughs> it's really good it's really good i've seen so many memes like you t- like about like the was it like the cunty lawyer or something in the movie or like i can't like I'm, again i don't have much context other than like memes i've seen <laughs> yeah. online but also the dog is like getting a bunch of awards which also is very cute um <laughs> oh my god but it's not for cute moments that there is a, a moment involving the dog i Spoiler alert, if you don't want to know anything about the movie, I will say the dog does live, but there is a moment really bothered my roommate. Um, so just as a as a warning, but the dog does live, but it is a harrowing moment. And yes, the dog should get a, an acting award for that moment. I was shocked at that at the performance, but yeah, it's uh, it's intense. So all around. Incredible film. Loved it. Still involving death, but I want to hear about this queer slasher. Um, okay, so I got an email about this movie that I hadn't even heard of um, called Departing Seniors. And Okay, I want to see this yeah, one. Yeah, and so I I was really, I was, I was on the fence about it, and then I was like, you know what? No, it looks really good. It's directed by a woman, um, by Claire Cooney, and it stars... A, it's about a gay uh, Latino 
uh, high school senior who is, you know, just days away from graduating and he is out and he is very confident and proud of his sexuality, but he's still bullied at school and given a lot of shit. And one of his bullies is this girl, a white girl who is pissed off because she keeps calling him like affirmative action and being like, you're just getting attention. And so this kid is getting bullied and in the background there's like a, there's someone killing like jocks and at one point when Javier who is the main character is running away from his bullies he trips and falls down the stairs hits his head and all of a sudden he has like this ability that when he touches things he can see into the future of the person who last touched the object and this leads to him realizing that the string of supposed teen suicides are actually murders and they are being framed as suicides and he and his friend Bianca played by um Arianne Roach who has been in like Knives, Knives and Skin with by Jennifer Reeder she was also okay. in um mm-hmm. Candyman uh so they okay they're kind of trying to solve what's going on and it's definitely a low budget slasher but I was really really impressed by it um because I think it's dealing with queerness in a really interesting way in the in the movie. Like Javier's the character Javier, played by Ignacio Diaz Silvero Silverio, who um is kind of a newer actor. He is kind of he's out, but he's also kind of a dick because he has to have that kind of like protective armor. Everyone's kind of shitty to yep. him, so he's a dick back. So he's got this like chaotic confidence about him. And you like him, but he's also kind of an asshole. And you're like, dude, come on. And so it portrays, like, the queer characters as being, you know, again, this nuance to them. It's not, like, they're not just getting slurs thrown at them. It's, like, more complicated and, like, sinister in terms of what homophobia looks like now. It's, like, not just, like, swirlies and pranks. It's, like physical attacks and like sinister like texting and like setting people up and i think it's a really like kind of it's like it's it's both dark and kind of bleak and hopeful at the same time because like it's ultimately a hopeful movie but it's not afraid to get to go to these darker places when it comes to like queerness especially as teenagers and expectations and like especially of men and so it's like it's operating on a really fascinating like several fascinating levels i think that the climax is a little bit it's like a little bit anticlimactic and how it kind of like where it kind of builds to but i still really enjoyed it like with the heart it has i think a lot of films i've seen this year like between this and another movie that i cannot talk about until next week have a lot of this like genuine heart to them where like yes there's it's not perfect but you can tell how much both there's chemistry between all of the actors and also that the person behind the camera gave a shit about what they were doing. So you can kind of forgive some of the messiness because of how genuine, like you can feel the genuine place that it's coming from in terms of subject matter. Um, like, yes, it's, a, it's like a horror comedy slasher, but it's also like a sad look at trying to grow up these days as just like a kid who's different right. in a much more honest way. Cause I think, Again, it's like very. It can be very sanitized nowadays, and this doesn't sanitize um, like teenager reality as much as a lot of other media has. So, yeah, I definitely would give it a watch. It's out February second, so the day that this podcast is out, this episode is up. It is now out on VOD. 
Um, so I would, I, I would recommend it. I definitely would. I got an email for it and I was like, that sounds really good. And then I just haven't had time to request it. So I'm, I'm glad to hear it is good. Cause I was, I, I watched the trailer. It's like, okay, I'm sold. I want to see this movie. So I'm, I'm glad it's good. Yeah. Love to see that. Yeah. And I love messy queers. Yes. As we all know. So yeah, I was super into it. Um, so I'm glad I kind of, it's one of those movies that I think can very easily get kind of swept under the rug, but but yes, so that is Departing Seniors out now as of the recording, as of the release of this podcast. Uh, and then finally, erotic, more erotic dentistry. I did not know we could get even more erotic dentistry. So I'm very excited to understand what you're about to tell me. So if you've listened to um, our episode with Adam Caesar earlier this week, where we covered The Dentist, I did mention in there that after that, my journey from that film was like, I'm not sure about this one to me and my roommate thinking, okay, we're gonna have to watch Dentist 2, the movie that has a poster that has lived in infamy in my mind, as well as Mary Beth's mind, from what I understand from that recording. I, we sat down and watched The Dentist 2, which is a continuation, a direct continuation of The Dentist, where it picks up with everyone's favorite um, psychotic dentist, Dr. Finestone, in a, um asylum. And somehow, somehow, I'm not quite sure how this got through all of the nurses that watch him, but he has sutured a sharpened weapon into his um his calf and during a patient interview with with the doctor where he is talking about how he sees two sides of him and there's this dark side and you know he's trying to fight it he ends up ripping out his his stitches takes the weapon and um, takes her hostage unsure what happens to her i guess she probably dies because then he's out of the hospital and on on the run to um, Paradise, Missouri, where he apparently pre going to prison has established that as like one of his safety deposit boxes and a whole new identity. Um, so I, I'm I, sure we'll we'll go with that. But meanwhile, as this is happening, Brooke, who you all remember as his wife from the first movie who has her teeth taken out and her tongue cut off returns and has hired a private detective to track down her ex-husband. And all they have to go on is a bunch of postcards that they've visited from around the country. Eventually, you know, their paths are going to cross, but I will say that Brooke is giving so much intense eye acting because she doesn't speak she doesn't open her mouth probably because they didn't want to have to like put fake teeth in her so she has her mouth closed and she does a lot of intense eye stares for listeners that that, that are not watching what i am what i'm doing just the heavy and breathing <laughs> just just intenseness and so he he is Open, he ends up killing the dentist in this small town because the dentist is terrible and puts on a cap that ends up falling off as he is leaving the dentist. So he ends up killing him. And then because he's the dentist and it's a small town, they end up hiring him as the town dentist to replace the dentist. Sure. And 
then he finds this girl named Jamie who looks somewhat like his wife. And so he starts having flashbacks to his wife and eventually goes off the deep end again and starts the murderous spree. It's a very conventional movie, whereas the first one didn't feel very conventional. This feels like a a movie movie in a way. And I, it not like a weird la- fucking dirty fever dream. yeah and it kind of lacks some of the energy of the first movie in some in some ways because Mm. it is not as condensed it is like has like multiple locations it's not filmed in like pretty much one set for most of the film so it sort of loses that that feeling of the first movie but at the same time i thought it was kind of interesting um a little slow in spot there's some really there's some really funny moments there's this particular moment where he is um performing um dental care on a woman who while jamie the love his new love interest is in the room and he is having he knows that she is has this man in her life and he is really feeling jealous and you could tell the woman in the chair knows that he is like he is fucking with my teeth while he is having this potential breakdown and she is doing everything in her power to like calm him down through her mouth being pried open and her eyes and it's it's a very kind of funny scene also nadine from twin peaks is in this hell yeah which is which is i was like why does she look so familiar and it's nadine or if you want the uh the woman from the people under the stairs same actress is in this movie so that's really great um it's it's fun it's a little slow okay i think i prefer the first one just because of the manic weird imagery of the first one to this one but you know what as a direct to hbo sequel to a very seedy movie it's not bad it's not bad does it match the vibes of the cover? There is. So I was like, when is this scene going to happen? And there is one moment that is very Brian Usna. It's a dream sequence in which a woman has those teeth and also a very long tongue. Very phallic okay. long tongue. And I was like, oh, this is giving society. This is giving Brian Usna. And I wish there was more of that. It's just one little brief moment in the film. But does not live up to that cover but that moment is there it's in the film that about does it for this week's little cuts but terry who are we talking to on monday so on monday we are so excited we got to chat with jude ellison s doyle who is the writer of dead blondes and bad mothers monstrosity patriarchy and the fear of female power and his latest is the uh full core comic book the neighbors which um he gave us the first three issues. It's a five issue comic. He gave us the first three issues. We both read it and wanted more. And so I immediately bought it on Kindle and Mary Beth has bought it since then at the comic book store. I bought it at the comic book store. My favorite place. Yep. A lot of fun. Really good. And he brought with him unsolved mysteries Season two, episode two, particularly about the blinking uh, crucifix. Uh, (laughs) And what a wild, fun conversation and a bit of nostalgia for me who grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries. So get ready for that. If you want to watch it and kind of 
familiarize with yourself, a lot of them are streaming legally on YouTube, in particular this episode. So season two, episode two, if you want to find out about a realtor getting shot, a blinking crucifix, and um, a nudist colony fraud. Um, <laughs> go watch that 40-minute episode and get ready to get weird. <laughs> so listeners, you've heard from us, you want to hear from you. Did you play anything or watch anything that we talked about this week and have thoughts? Do you have ideas and thoughts about things we should be covering? You can let us know by sending us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on social media. I am at mbmcandrews on Twitter and at mb.mcandrews on Instagram. And I'm a Gaily Dreadful everywhere. And of course, if you're not following the podcast, what are you doing? Make sure to follow it on Twitter and Blue Sky at Scarred Podcast and on Instagram at Scarred for Life Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And if you want to see our beautiful faces or my um, interpretive eye acting, um, you can support us through Patreon and watch our, our, our mugs do weird things Woo. or something. Thank you, Derek. <laughs> Thank you, Derek Power, for artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for music. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. <laughs> and until next time. <laughs>